1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
2: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Transformers Rise of the Beasts.
1: For centuries, our kind has stayed hidden on Earth. But darkness
3: has found us again. Prime. This is about the fate of all living things. Unicron is coming. All
2: right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Transformers Rise of the Beasts, and the story is as follows. Optimus Prime and the Autobots take on their biggest challenge yet. When a new threat capable of destroying the entire planet emerges, they must team up with a powerful faction of Transformers known as the Maximals to save Earth. The film is starring Anthony Ramos, Dominique Fishback, Luna Lauren Velez, Toby Nigue, Dean Scott Vasquez, Peter Cullen, Pete Davidson... Ron Perlman, Michelle Yeoh, Peter Dinklage, and Coleman Domingo. It is directed by Stephen Capel Jr., and it is written by Joby Harold, Darnell Medair, Josh Peters, Eric Hober, and John Hober. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Isaiah Washington. Hello. And joining us here, two guests coming back to the show to lend their opinions on all things Transformers. First up, we have... Colby Mack. Yo, yo,
3: yo, what up?
2: And returning to the show, it has been a minute. My dear friend from In Session Film, J.D. Duran. Hey, born in
3: 1985. I was born for this moment right here. My time has come. Thanks for having me.
2: A massive Transformers fan over here, this guy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, big time.
2: (laughs) So we're going to get into Transformers Rise of the Beast here. Uh, Non-spoilers, okay? So let's try to keep it spoiler-free. I know that there's a big thing that we probably want to discuss. We can save that for the end. Uh, But for the time being, no spoilers. You know, this is coming off the heels of the Travis Knight standalone directed film Bumblebee which uh, starred Haley Steinfeld, got a really positive reception. It was the first Transformers movie in this new era to not be directed by Michael Bay. And it received a lot of positive, uh, you know, reviews from critics and audiences. People really responded to that film. So now here we are again, another Bayless film directed by Stephen Caple Jr., who previously directed Creed Two, And it's interesting because now this time around, the plot – for this movie, feels less like a standalone and definitely more like a Transformers movie that we're used to seeing, right? The Autobots come together, Optimus Prime is more involved. Yes, Bumblebee is also in this film, but it's about, you know, tracking down an object, saving the world and defeating, not the Decepticons, but in this case, the Terracons, uh, which are led by Peter Dinklage, playing a character named Scourge here, uh, and you know we're we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get into it right how do the maximals come into play what do we think of these new characters uh, that are introduced to human characters I'm referring to of course mm-hmm. uh, there are also some other Transformers characters that are new here but this move this movie is set in 1994 and from what I understand and someone correct me if I'm wrong here this is not only a sequel to Bumblebee But this is also a whole new timeline of movies. This is not meant to be a prequel to the Bay
3: films. Is that correct? I would say so, especially given characters that are introduced here, such as Mirage, played by Pete Davidson. Mirage is a character that we see in Dark of the Moon and it's not even close to the same character. (laughs) So,
2: like, No, no, totally different. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, and not that the Bayformers cared about continuity at all, because that was the last thing on Michael Bay's mind when making those movies, but this seems like it's heading in a very different direction, especially given that ending, which we'll get to, as you noted. Yeah, so I I think this is a full-on reboot. That's what it seems to be to me.
2: Okay, and that's fair. So what do we think of this prequel, reboot, whatever the hell this transformed franchise has become? Isaiah Washington, we'll start off with you. General thoughts. What did you think of Transformers Rise of the Beasts?
1: This was easily one of my least anticipated films of the year. Yes, I do have nostalgia, of course, when it comes to the Transformers. I used to collect the toys when I was a kid. One of my early experiences when it comes to the theaters was the Michael Bay Transformers. My father used to take me all the time for every single film. But of course, as I got older, I realized most of those films are really not great. Yes, there are great spectacles to be had, of course, with Michael Bay. But it really wasn't something that I realized was as great as I got older and started understanding more when it comes to filmmaking. Of course, Bumblebee was a pleasant surprise, but I found that more as a a spinoff, in a sense, and really didn't connect that with the original franchise that we got from the late 2000s to the early 2010s. I am surprised to say that I actually found myself enjoying this film a lot. And I might even say that this, in terms of the Transformers brand names and all the live actions, this might be the best one. That's not, of course, saying a lot, but I think the main drive that this film has is similar into what Bumblebee had that made that movie more critically successful than the others. This movie carries a lot of heart and a lot of really good, solid character work, in my opinion. Uh, Noah Diaz, played by Anthony Ramos, I think is... Probably the best human character out of all of the Transformers films, a character, I think, that justifies their place along with the same runtime as the other Transformers films. Because I know that there's been a big criticism of how we're focusing on the humans and Sam Witwicky and Cade Yeager. Why are we not focusing on the Transformers? I think there's an equal balance here, along with uh, Elena Wallace, who's played by Dominique Fishback and how they actually justified their place into the journey and not just running around screaming Optimus' name, actually getting involved with the actual MacGuffin that is with the story. The new characters were pretty solid. Nothing exceptional here. You get pretty much your same character traits that you would get a lot within the other Transformers films. It is nice that they have their own personalities, and I can actually tell which one is which unlike some of the others in the past film. Mm -hmm. And I am proud to say that this was a very entertaining kickstart to the summer blockbuster
2: season. I'm really happy. Okay. All right. Isaiah's opinion has been noted. Colby, what are you going to tell me? Man,
0: I wish that I could speak in as glowing terms as my man Isaiah did. And don't get me wrong. Like, I don't not like this movie. I actually quite enjoyed the movie going experience, but the more you think about the movie, the mechanics and logic of making this story work, the more you're like, "Ooh." (laughs) however, however, um, what can't be erased is just that how truly dope it is. Seeing someone on screen who looks and talks and feels like you, that's something that's really special and can Mm -hmm. Add enough of the rose colored goggles or glasses, as you can say, needed to like really come around on this film. And I think the first act of this movie is quite strong because it's the most human part of the story. Like Isaiah said, yo, Anthony Ramos, he's not only a good actor, but I think he's the right fit for where they want to steer this franchise going forward Um, and particularly playing off of Dominique (laughs) Fishburne. Gosh, this woman is just so lovely. She is such an incredible physical actor because there's these little subtle things that she does in her performance that doesn't involve the text that is so emblematic of someone who understands emotion and how to translate that on screen um, without having to do really big things. Uh, God, I wish that the screenplay was there to really kind of match what these two leads are giving. I mean, yes, we come to the Transformers films for robot aliens and Optimus Prime leading the the, the Autobots. You know when you come to realize about Optimus Prime um, in most of these movies, like he's a big giant dickhead. And in this movie, he's like a really big one. He's got this like hate for humans that is never really exposed as to why on screen but he's optimus prime the good thing is is that his curmudgeonness right plays so well off of mirage and wow this is a very different mirage as we've known him this is probably my favorite pete davidson role that i've ever seen um his timing was great his energy was good i kind of wanted more of the buddy copness that we got in the Bumblebee movie where it was Bumblebee and Haley Steinfeld um, if we kind of got that here between Noah and Mirage. But I think we got enough. And like I said, the first act was strong. The moment that we get to Peru... Um, it's like a boulder falling down a cliff. Um, it gets bogged down in a lot of the penchants of this franchise that you're kind of familiar with. Exposition, exposition set up. Um, you kind of think that we're good, then we're not. It's very formulaic. It doesn't do anything special. But I think that's coming around once again to kind of save itself in the third act in a pretty surprising um, last uh, scene or two. Um, the music is great because it's nostalgic appeal to the 90s. And that's going to fit for me as an 80s baby and 90s kid who grew up in Yonkers, New York, it was great to be able to hear something that feels like home. It's a little bit of a cheat code, but I'm not mad at it. Shout out to Toby and Wigwee, who plays this really swarmy character who's kind of lovable, who's helping Noah steal a car, just do a little bit better. Um, I wish that there was a lot more human story because Noah's younger brother dealing with sickle cell trait um, was really tender. And I think that, honestly, there is an even better movie that's in this film but this film doesn't particularly care to kind of extrapolate greatness with its screenplay, because it knows it doesn't have to. It got an A minus in the store. It's probably going to um going to rival Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse um, with regards to its box office. And if it doesn't, I think that's going to be more emblematic of a changing tide uh, for studios and their release structure with summer blockbusters. But it's weird. I'm of two minds as a critic. I don't like this movie
2: as a general moviegoer. I get why I like this movie. Okay. Wow. All right. And JD Duran, where do you fall into all of this? Uh, because <laughs> I have followed your feelings about the transformers uh-huh. movies over the last couple of years. And uh-huh. this is definitely uh, you know, different compared to what we've been accustomed to from Michael Bay.
3: Yeah, it's certainly true for, some context to help articulate where I'm coming from with this movie. I am a big fan of this franchise going back to the eighties. I grew up with that original animated series, the movie that came out in 1985, I believe it was, you know, read a lot of the comics, had all of the toys then into the nineties with beast wars, which is a significant, uh, inspiration for this film in a lot of ways as well. So I do have a rich, rich history with it. And then you get into The Bayformers beginning in 2007 and have watched those films countless times. And I think it's real interesting. We can certainly rip apart The Bayformers in a lot of ways. And it's warranted. Michael Bain does not care about character or storytelling or theme. like He's just there to blow things up. But that's kind of fascinating in hindsight when you consider mainstream Hollywood and the CGI soup that, you know, labels so many blockbusters we get these days. So, looking back retrospectively on Bayformers, say what you will about them on the whole and their stories, but they are pretty compelling visually. You can't deny Michael Bay's visual eye, not even just in transformers, but broadly speaking. You think to ambulance last year and the visuals that he brought to that. like he he knows how to use a camera and he knows how to make things look cool. And he is committed to pragmatism. Like he is practically blowing cars up and blowing things to smithereens. Uh, and in hindsight, retrospectively, I do think that actually makes those films age a little bit better in some ways, uh, comparatively to what we get now. Which is to say, like coming into this film, I, I was a little bit reserved, but hopeful for what this reboot could look like, especially given the generation one uh, aesthetic of the the autobots and the terracons. and then we're bringing in the the maximal characters, which, I was I was as big a fan of Beast Wars as I was the animated series back in the 80s, and I know that's a little bit polarizing. A lot of Transformers fans don't feel that way, but um, like in the 80s, I was like real little. So like when I was watching those, I, I loved it. But I was like prime age when Beast Wars came out, so I was ready to love that series and very much did, and owned all the toys and all that sort of jazz. So. Um, so coming into this film with that in mind, you know, looking at it similarly to Colby, like if I put on my critic lens, there is certainly things to knock about this film. The screenplay is thin, it is derivative, the logic of it is certainly uneven at times. But I do like the Noah character. I like how I like the writing of him. Anthony Ramos is very good here. Dominic Fishback is also great perhaps where I'll differ the most from Colby is I kind of love Prime here. Optimus Prime is a character that historically, like the legacy of him is that he is this gentle soul. He's a commanding leader. He can certainly be robust when he needs to be. And we certainly see that at times, even in the Bayformer films, such as Dark of the Moon, when he goes off at the end, or we get pissed off Prime, like emotionally vulnerable Prime in Age of Extinction, which I think is great. But he's also a character that is gentle, like he's approachable, like he he genuinely loves his brethren. And that comes through in the comics and in the TV shows and, of course, in the movies as well. And Peter Cullen is absolutely mesmerizing at bringing out that duality in Optimus Prime. And, and here in, in this film, what I love about the iteration of him here is that, yes, he's this lovable, gentle leader. But he's a flawed leader in this film, which I think is really compelling. Like, uh, I I think to answer your question there, Colby, I think it's pretty simple. I think he, he feels a lot of guilt and shame that he's put his Autobots in this vulnerable position. They can't get home. Now they have a way home. And he will do whatever it takes to get his Autobots home, whatever the cost is. So it comes from an affable place of I am accepting responsibility for what I've done, and putting these people, these Autobots, in in this position. So I have to take responsibility, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that machine, so that way we can go home, even if that means Earth is maybe left uh, unprotected. And and I kind of love that, and it so it kind of blinds him from the larger picture, and he comes across as Yes, a leader that's still commanding and he he clearly loves his Autobot brothers. He wants to get them home safely, but he's also looking at it myopically, uh, which of course juxtaposes yet simultaneously parallels the Noah character in a lot of ways, which I think is actually done very well. So when we get to the ending of the film, there's an interesting climax where those two characters come together in a fascinating way. So I do I actually really like the writing of the, of the film in in that regard. But yes, on the whole, certainly a lot to, to nitpick here. The, visually, the film is prosaic. It's, it's a lot of the CGI soup that we've gotten over the last 10 years or so. Uh, so it's, it's not really distinctive in that regard. Um, to Isaiah's point, though, at least the robots, the way that they transform and, and move in and out, it's certainly more seamless than what we got in Bayformers, that's for sure. Now, if I take off my critical lens and I put on my seven-year-old glasses, I transform myself into my seven-year-old self. (laughs) I loved this movie. I loved it. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, like with, with Michael Bay, Paramount did not hire him to show reverence to Transformers. They hired him to blow crap up and get people in the seats. And he succeeded in that regard. Uh, this film shows reverence to the legacy of Transformers. There's a lot of Easter eggs. There's a lot of callbacks, a lot of little things. A lot of them are are very subtle. The film doesn't call attention to these things. There's a lot of love to the legacy of Transformers in this film. So as a Transformers nerd, I was able to geek out throughout a lot of this. And I felt like a kid again, which is ironic because I brought my seven-year-old son to see this with me. So <laughs> I couldn't even be a father to him. I was just another kid there with him uh, nerding out over a lot of what we see here. And, and so, yes, I could sit here and, and critically kind of nitpick it to death. And, and it's certainly warranted in a lot of ways. But as a fan, I, the film does a great job of delivering the goods to those that come in with that rich history. And I had a ball.
2: Okay. So speaking of someone that's not... A major Transformers fan here. I'm a 90s kid so I actually grew up watching Beast Wars but I didn't never uh, watch the original Transformers and since then I've only seen the Bay films so I'm not like as entrenched in Velour or really just like I said like a big fan in general especially considering that when it comes to the Bay films they at the time really came to represent everything I hated about the Hollywood studio system when it came to filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that first film. I was 17 years old when that came out. I feel like that film was made for my demographic and uh, of course I ate it up and went and saw it in the theater a bunch of times that summer. After that, it was just like diminishing returns. I I think Revenge of the Fallen is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Dark and the Moon was definitely a little bit better and then the other two Age of Extinction and Last Night are just atrocious beyond all comprehension (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Um, But there's a bit of give and take here because while I'm so glad to see the juvenile, sometimes racist, stereotypical, absolutely tone deaf humor of the Bay films is absent from Rise of the Beasts. I do miss that kinetic style of action filmmaking. Like you said, JD, just blowing shit up sparks flying for absolutely no reason. (laughs) It's just like a level of chaos. There's a
3: tangibility to those films. Yeah, Yeah.
2: no, there definitely was also to, as you were mentioning before, a favoritism uh, shown towards practically Mm -hmm. setting off these explosions and, Especially like when I like over the last like week when I've seen clips of uh, those original films posted everywhere online, people I guess have been going back and re watching them in anticipation for this. I, I can't deny that at the time, while I probably definitely hated them, I have to admit they look a lot better than a lot of the stuff that we receive yeah. today. Yeah. So I have to concede in that regard. But with Rise of the Beast, uh, like I said, a little bit of give and take here from me where. Yeah, the action isn't as visually dazzling, but it's competent. It's solidly well done. It's not... I've seen some people call it dull, and I think I can understand that if you're comparing it to the Bay films, but I would argue that it's more exciting than some of the uh, superhero stuff that we've been getting in recent years. Mm -hmm. And I also think a lot of it is dependent on how attached you are to these characters. Now a lot of that depends on your familiarity with the franchise. If you have the nostalgic attachment, which I don't. So for me, when it comes to, you know, Bumblebee and prime and Mirage and all these other, uh, transformers, the Maximals who were introduced in all of this, I don't really care so much, but where they really did get me to care was with Noah Diaz, Anthony Ramos's character who <laughs> I, I think Ramos is just a really phenomenal performer. And, you know, he's so versatile. And I don't think that this is necessarily the strongest work of his career or anything like that. It's also not a role that I think allows for there to be a lot of depth and range. But just like with Fishback as well, who I think actually is given less material to work with. And yeah, I would argue that at times that it's I don't know, I do feel like that the movie almost includes her because it feels like they're obligated to and they really want to focus more on Noah more so than anything. But mm. both of them, I do think they take chicken shit and they turn it into chicken salad. Yeah. So that is a, a plus here because I found myself definitely invested in emotionally rooting for them as the film progressed. Um, And by the end of it all, I had a good time. I wouldn't say I had a great time with it. Uh, But it was definitely also better than what I was expecting. Uh, Like Isaiah was saying earlier, I went in with such low expectations. I went in with my arms crossed, a scowl on my face. (laughs) I was (laughs) so prepared to hate on this movie. But that's because I hated the previous Bay films so, so much. And I consider Bumblebee to be its own thing. Mm -hmm. So I find it hard to compare that to this And I find it hard to compare to the Bay films as well, because it doesn't have the same type of plot structure as this film does, along with the Bay films. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, I couldn't rest on the goodwill of Bumblebee to kind of carry me through here. But is it perfect? No, I do think it is, however, a step in the right direction for the franchise mm-hmm. and it does leave room for improvement moving forward. I just really hope that they don't take the wrong lessons from this and try to <sighs> overstuff it with crossovers and team ups and, you know, characters from, oh, I don't want to reveal too many spoilers, but yeah. different franchises uh-huh. and, you know, just make uh-huh. it into something that... Honestly, it's too big for this world and this franchise to handle because I think right now audiences I, – I, I know it's tracking really well at the box office. I know the cinema score, like Kobe said, is also pretty positive, all things considered. But it, it is a fine line right now that this franchise is walking where I think audiences are so, so, so close to just dropping off completely – And they're also teetering on the other edge of being back in the franchise's good graces again because it does feel rejuvenated and fresh to a certain extent. So where do I fall in all of this? I would say I'm mixed, slightly leaning positive – Um, I I remember when I was writing my review for this, I was going back and forth because I was listing so many things that I had issues with in this movie, predominantly with the screenplay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But by the end of it all, I couldn't help but still feel, comparatively speaking, to the Bay films that this was better. Is it much better? I I mean, I think that's up for debate, but I Mm -hmm. I would argue that story and character-wise, it's better. Um, But if you're just going for the action... And you're just going for the spectacle. I also could see how you would, if you're making those comparisons, you would feel a little let down by this in the end. Yeah. Like there's no single action set piece in this movie to me, maybe other than the finale. The finale, I think, is pretty well staged and well executed. Mm -hmm. But everything else before that, I can't even tell you. Like like I guess the Noah Mirage interaction with the car chase stands out because yeah. it's more of a character yes, yes. introduction and building moment. Yeah. But in terms of like an actual action set piece, there's nothing revolutionary happening here and it almost feels like it's a back to basics approach to stakes and scale and really like taking everything that the Bay films had done where it just got so big. To the point that it was ridiculous. I mean, I feel like it was always ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But this is something that I know the film is set in 1994, but it feels like a scene that also was shot in 1994, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. I know that there's visual effects and stuff, so it doesn't, I know that doesn't really like totally line up. But do you guys get what I'm saying? Where it just mm-hmm. feels like this is a very um, <sighs> smaller scaled size, like action film. in a Hey, hey there.
0: I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. even care if they are we are always unpacking
3: that very question on sleepover cinema check out sleepover cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. see you soon
0: why even though the oh, world I is still in, in peril right like it, it's a, <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic that's at play with that and I, and I found myself so kind like like you said, I think mix is is like the perfect way to describe it because like in the third act is where we get the most amount of action and nothing is like is standing out as like yo of the entire transformers franchise this is it this is what we've been waiting for honestly for me the only thing i was waiting for um was the maximals i kind of wish that there was more maximals in
2: this and it's- i'll give the maximals credit for this uh-huh. though there's more of them in this movie than there was dino bots in age of extinction that's true
3: yes, that's that 100 no. that really true yeah and definitely
2: I, I for some
0: people so for me kind of like jd I grew up watching Beast Wars. So like it was so much a part of like my cartoon watch when I was a kid. And I connected more Mm -hmm. with, you know, Beast Wars and with, you know, Cheetah and with Rhinox. But then I was like, yo, where's Scorpion?" Where's where's trap um, Yeah. <laughs> where's Megatron? You know, and it's like there were certain elements where I I had to, I guess I just had to live with the fact that like oh, I think they want to use these characters, but this is not Beast Wars being introduced to the um Transformers franchise. It's something a little bit else cuz they had characters that just yeah. kind of wanted to have in here.
3: Um yeah. but like with regards I, to I will giant, say can can I speak yeah. to that real fast yeah, go ahead. Because cuz I I overall agree with what you're saying. And I don't know if this is true. I haven't done any research, but as we're talking, this does kind of come to mind. I, I I think Mirage is honestly a way of them incorporating G1 characters and Beast Wars. I I think Mirage in this film is Rat Trap from the animated from Beast Wars the animated series reincarnate uh, because Mirage in the animated series and in the comics is not like what we see here with. This character in terms of tone and personality and jokes, that is a thousand percent rat trap from that series. So I think they kind of re- rewrote him, maybe because they didn't know what to do with him visually, having a giant rat as a robot. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it felt like let's take that personality and inject it into a, a different character. And so, and it's it's those little things, and like when you get to the big action set piece at the end, there's there's like really small, nerdy things they do to, to incorporate Beast Wars more into it than than it is prominent, because I think you can argue that they're underutilized on the whole. But uh, yeah, certainly more than the Dinobots. That, that's for sure.
2: I will say in regards to the Mirage character, I I've heard so many people like giving praise to Pete Davidson, this, and while I agree, it's a good vocal performance because I'll admit. I expected there to be a lot of cringe in the comedy here and mm-hmm. there were mm-hmm. times where it was borderline but for the on the whole I thought it was actually pretty funny and well done and his relationship yeah. with Noah is uh, well earned I think by the end there's some significant emotional payoff that I think works very well in the third act here yeah. uh, but I've mm-hmm. heard some people say this is like Pete Davidson's best performance and I'm like y'all high like, <laughs> you know it, it's not yeah. Staten Island yeah like like Staten Island he's genuinely good in that film i think uh and here it's like oh it's a vocal performance let's let's calm down
3: (laughs) hey let's not let's not undermine vocal
2: performances i do think that that speaks to the emotional attachment that people have to this character which good on them for getting audiences to care Mm -hmm. yeah
3: and and real fast speaking of the humor and you noted matt that it it bore, it's borderline cringe at times and, and a little crass. I have to tell this story because I noted earlier, I, I took my oldest son, Sam, to see this. Yeah. And there's a joke in the film where Mirage references something about his body parts. Yes. And my, son, <laughs> my son leans over to me out loud, like people could definitely hear him. And he goes, He's talking about his penis. <laughs> 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 Oh, that's great. Okay, it works for the seven-year-olds. It worked for the seven-year-olds. God, I love your son already. (laughs) (laughs) That
2: that probably was my favorite joke in the movie overall, I have to say. I laughed so hard at that point.
0: Mine was still from him, but he's like, dude, you were inside of me.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) That had my audience roaring. I loved it.
2: I I Actually, I don't know if that's – is that different? then what i was thinking. yeah because that's what i was alluding to what were you alluding to Katie? Oh, okay. yeah yes.
3: the inside yeah yeah the the moment yeah. i'm talking yeah. about where yeah cuz he Oh, he, he's he the throws the, Noah like I'm a piece of I won't of tell you which
0: part of me He yes. throws him like yes. a gun or something. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Jesus. No, and that, and that's why. That's what made me want so much more. Because, like, in Bumblebee, particularly the connection between B and and uh, Haley Seinfeld's character is so strong, and like, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wanted so much yeah. more of that because I found that connection really worked. And I guess, like, my remark in regards to Optimus being a bit of a dickhead in this film is just like he's he's doing that thing that some protagonists do. It's like. I am suffering because I'm just so mad that I put our position of our
1: team here.
3: He's definitely feeling the guilt. Yeah, he is. Sure. And, yeah. and it's like it to
0: me, it comes across contrived because never in the film do we ever understand why. I have no idea what mission brought them there, how they got there, why like particularly they had to be in hiding, the way that they were in hiding. It's like I, I didn't know, I, I couldn't believe like the like truly the conflict that was building. Um, and then like once again, the more and more that I try to understand the logic to this film, particularly the MacGuffin, I mean, yeah, there's gonna be a MacGuffin. This plays a lot like you know, a video game movie you have some characters in certain parts of the world and they're separated from each other, but they never explain exactly why. And then there's technology that just appears out of nowhere where it's like, wait a minute, if that was always there, then why this? Then why that? So you have to like, Really, really, you know, suspend a lot of disbelief to to make this thing work. But in the end, if you appeal to your younger self, you're like, is this is so cool because like I've wanted to transform so many times, and to be able to see that in this film. And I don't think it's a spoiler because I think it, it shows it um on like the the, the uh, one of the trailers. But like you get to see so much, and it's been inside of the you know the movies. I forget the name of the character was, but I mean, a little white kid, little white girl. They got their own little transformers and stuff like that, and they were kind mm-hmm. of like you know. Like these, it's you know, this came out the same time, like Riley Power Rangers did. And all we want to do is to get superpowers and stuff like that. And like, I I, I, I loved it. I love the little stinger in the end. So I'm glad for the, you know, for the setup. Um, this definitely is not a, it's not a horrible film like Last Night and Age of Extinction. And I think that that's saying something.
2: I mean, one thing that they did with Optimus Prime, this movie that I genuinely did like was I did enjoy that he's, more distrusting of humans in this film. Yeah. Which I thought in turn set up a really good character arc for him and uh with Noah of this I agree. mutual like shared respect and acknowledgement like towards the end. Uh and then with Mirage too. Um uh, just him wanting to be bros with Noah. There's something really sweet and endearing about a Transformer that just wants to be friends with another like human. And um yeah. I thought that the Way that that was all incorporated into the final battle like people are saying this movie doesn't like, you know, have stakes and I can see where they're coming from in saying that statement because, you know, especially with like, you know, the superhero genre where nobody ever stays dead and there's like no consequences to anything. Mm-hmm. What this movie did do well, though, is it did once again get me to care about these characters, their relationships and there were payoff moments that had the audience genuinely cheering uh, towards the end, yeah. especially yeah. with regards Definitely. to uh, Noah Diaz. I, I I looked around at my audience and I was like, this is working. Yeah. Say what you will about it, flaws and all, but clearly the audience is responding.
3: I think what's fascinating about that character here uh, is that when, when you consider his interactions with Noah, I I love that this film kind of detours in a way because historically – Really, the only character that has any sort of major interaction with human characters has been Bumblebee, prime to a certain extent. But Bumblebee is really the only one that's had relationships with uh, with the human characters. When you consider Sam and the Bay Farmer films, for example, and of course with Charlie in the Bumblebee film uh, from a few years ago, and here they kind of detour. Bumblebee is put on the back burner, which maybe we can talk about. I kind of like how they handle him here. And instead we get a new character, a new character that hasn't interacted with humans before. So I I like how they, they kind of change up the formula a little bit. And, you know, because Bumblebee can't speak, even though he's been the main Autobot that has had these human relationships, we now get someone who can talk and express and and be something that is so different from Bumblebee. So I, I do think the film is refreshing in that regard and and again as we've been talking about with pete davidson i think he does such a great job of of tapping into that and not just with his humor but there's a, a few moments here of sincerity and i think pete davidson does that well so i, I do like how the the kind of switches up and and subverts what we've come to to expect out of these films in that specific regard
2: I'll also give Pete Davidson credit for this. Granted, Mirage has a lot more material written for him in this movie, but some of the other big actors that they've gotten on board to do voiceover work for this. Uh, Ron Perlman, Michelle Yeoh, Peter Dinklage. Mm. I, I, I'm going to say this for all of them, but Peter Dinklage especially. I, I can't think of another actor in Hollywood who has so desperately tried to get that bag more than Peter Dinklage has (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the upcoming Hunger Games. (laughs) This guy is, you know, now in the, like like I said, the Transformers film. He's been in the X-Men movies. (laughs) He's been in the Marvel MCU. (laughs) Like, dude, get that money. You get that paycheck, Peter Dinklage. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Post Game of
1: Thrones. I mean, like, hey, I I understand.
2: But at the same time, it's like interesting how I, I often wonder, does he really care? Like, how does he feel about taking on like all these projects? I think for him, it is a, a means to an end because I do think he has more artistic endeavors that he wants to do, and he needs this cash to fulfill those. Um, especially now that Game of Thrones is over and those reoccurring paychecks are not necessarily coming. Uh, with that said, <laughs> scourge to me, other than being physically imposing and powerful, completely bland villain. No personality. Didn't do anything for me at all.
1: (laughs) I did like his character introduction, though. Yeah, but that peaks early. That
0: peaks real early. Yeah, it it (laughs) does. It
1: it does peak early. I do agree with that. But like the blocking of Stephen Campbell Jr., which I think is was again surprisingly very good in how he sets up characters. I kind of got like this, like in the woods horror type of aesthetic for like, yes, it was only for like 30 seconds, but I did appreciate like how this is a menacing character. He may not be Megatron, but this is a character who is very much capable of slaughtering all of these Autobots Mm-hmm. If, and like, if it's possible. And I did, that's why I did feel the stakes a little bit compared to this, to some like MCU or DCEU movies. I actually did feel a little bit of dread for some of these characters and especially within that opening sequence. And it, it was effective.
3: Well, you can argue that Scourge is much more effective than Megatron. And I, I won't give away the details. I'll, I'll avoid the spoilers, but he kills up to at least three enemies here
1: yeah right yeah (laughs) at least
3: yeah and he takes on yeah takes on optimus prime and nearly takes him down so like you know there's there they do a good job of building up the prowess of that character Now, they the film ultimately does nothing too with it. (laughs) It's a match point, but they at least make him this. It seemed (laughs) like they were more focused
2: on setting up a unicron instead. And that feels like it's supposed to be set up, obviously, for the future in many ways. I'm still very Mm. hazy on. Unicron wants to devour planets for enjoyment, for nourishment. And then if so, like, what's the end goal here?
3: Because that's literally it. It's, I think it's, that's it. No, that's, that's it. it. And it's that's like him a in the comics here.
2: Yeah, I was very, very unclear on, okay, so you want to devour planets. But what are you going to do when there's no planets left, buddy? So what you yeah. have to understand
0: that, is that <laughs> with the transwarp key, you are in, in right into a number of universes with infinite planets for consumption. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Exactly. I appreciate that explanation. Can I also just say, too, that transwarp key is <laughs> such a hilarious term because every time they said it in the movie, I just kept saying to myself, Let's do the trans warp again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I hey, it's a better
1: MacGuffin than the nuclear seed in Age of Extinction. I'll take it.
2: You know, I, I remember even in the first Bay film, it was like Sam, we need to get to the cube. Now it's like <laughs> yeah. Noah, we need to get to the trans warp.
3: <laughs> that's that's all of them <laughs> from
2: yeah. It's like plot. the same thing over and over and over again. It, it thankfully the yeah. character work here is strong. And that's what sells and carries the film across the finish line for me, just barely. But it does get the job done. And it reiterates something that I've said on this podcast over and over and over again, that if you have strong enough characters that you care about, even if the visual, flexor, uh, visual effects are flimsy, even if the comedy doesn't necessarily land, all this other stuff and the story you know, here, yes, it's kind of derivative, but it's competent. It's nothing special, and it's nothing new or unique to this franchise, but it's a tired and worn-out formula that they just kept returning to again, and it works. It works. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, the film, I think, does work with a lot of reservations, but – Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think people that are hating on this movie are predisposed to hate on this movie. I think they're, yeah. you know, people that this this franchise in this world, um, if it ever was going to work, that goodwill ran out a long time ago and they're never coming back or they just never liked these movies to begin with.
3: I, I agree. I do think there is a proficiency to the film and the storytelling, especially when compared to Bay Farmers. And I think part of that for me, we joke about it and yes the mcguffin here is very derivative but, but i do like the simplicity of it there really isn't much to this film from a plotting perspective they in the opening scene of the film uh the the original primal that we see announces that we have this key that's what scourges after you guys have to get out of here that's it they go to earth the whole movie is them just going for that key that's it this film is not overly complicated they keep things very simple to allow the screenplay to tap into other nuances as we've been talking about with the Noah character uh, with prime uh, a little bit of what we see with the Alina here as well, Mirage and everything that comes with him as well. Uh, It's, it is uneven, but I think there is a proficiency to it that we haven't really seen in this franchise Bumblebee aside. And, and I, I just love the simplicity of it. It, you know, is it, a banal MacGuffin, absolutely. But I also don't care because I don't go to these movies to and and expect to come out going, you know what? That was as good as Moonlight. The nuances (laughs) and the depth was there. Like, I I don't really expect that. Now, I'm not saying the criticism is invalid. It's certainly valid. But I think the film does a good job of keeping things contained and simple so that way other aspects of it can come to the surface. And... And we can have fun with the film. And I, th- and I think it is overall effective in that.
2: Now, I will uh, say this. Uh, I may or may not have gotten a little sleepy in the second act of this film. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah I I didn't actually I fall asleep but I did but I did find my mind like wandering and I wanted to know if you all felt that too. I
3: don't believe that Matt cuz you don't sleep. That's true. Sleep? <laughs> I refuse to believe this.
2: But but in all honesty though, did you all feel like the first act was strong because of these character introductions? The third act obviously contains the no, final it, battle. it
3: definitely gets a little middling. What was
2: going on in that second act? Cuz it did start to lose me. <laughs>
3: You know, it's just like a lot of other
0: action-adventure movies. Like, the second Uh act, it it, this film believes itself that these characters are kind of, like, going through some moments. And just because there's soft dialogue and, I guess, like, a little more tender, like, written interactions between each other, it's supposed to elicit this false emotion, in my opinion, because you didn't do the rest of the legwork to be able to flesh out full, like, character arcs. So there's not a lot of action in the entirety of the second act. There's a chase scene, but it really kind of doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, this really... Really isn't here i'm like oh well all right well, that was pointless you know um but it's it was i don't it, it the pacing slowed down there was it was just it just felt like okay meandering i think is a perfect word for it that's exactly what the second act was yeah. um we get introduced to the other characters and there's really not much like plot explanation of like where have you been? Like, there was a couple like jokes. There was just one interaction between Anthony Ramos's character and mm-hmm. another, like, I guess, yep. <laughs> I guess like, there yep. was like another, like, there was a Latino, um, <laughs> Autobot. But, like, their interaction was yeah. really interesting. I don't want to talk about it too much because I think, like, that was the most interesting part <laughs> yeah, of the, the second act. The confusion was horrible. <laughs> and I'm just like, um, uh, uh, But it, I think it, it kind of, not. It, it is, it's playing with itself in a sense of it's kind of making fun because it's kind of dumb. And they realize it's kind of dumb. And I think Anthony Ramos does a really
1: yeah. good job with the performance. what
3: taps into it. I yeah. will
1: say that, um, I, this could just be me. I do feel like that was kind of a addressing of a lot of the criticisms that happened with Michael Bay films. Because of course, to you, Matt, you were talking about how it had some racial. Oh, I didn't even it.
0: realize that. Till you just said that. that
1: that's oh a, wow! That's a, theory. that's a theory. It's just okay. A but that's just how I took it because there was like, I'm not going to go too deep into it. But like, of course, some oh. of their dialogue—it just kind of felt like, are y'all addressing this? okay it but does seem like that might be the case. The second yeah. act what kept me engaged in the second act was a lot of the because i do agree with your criticism you guys because it kind of did slow it down a little bit there were probably times where i was kind of like okay like how much more time of this movie we have left okay but what kept me engaged when they went to peru into these different countries one of the things i do like about the transformers films is how international they can be and I just love the fact that they actually went out to real locations and we actually saw real scenery and it didn't feel like it was shot in a studio stage. Yeah,
3: that's a good point.
1: I just loved like, okay, you guys, you went out and you made a motion picture where you actually have beautiful backgrounds and you're actually exploring these different types of the world. You're recapturing some of the better aspects that Michael Bay was able to give us within the other films, even if they were catering to like, a country that gave us bigger box office numbers. Okay, fair enough. But I did appreciate about that. It didn't look. They didn't rely too much on CGI when they didn't need to.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I wish the third act would have continued that trend. But I think I think you do make a good point. And I think what's interesting about the second act, at least for me, and maybe this is also a little bit of an answer to to bay farmers because michael bay only you know, like he did very little to get from one set piece to the next and this film pretty much like there's not much action in that second act and you know there's a lot of emphasis in okay we saw what happened with bumblebee in, in at the end of the at the first act and and now we're we're trying the film is going to build to something as as we move you know, from the states to Peru, as you're talking about, and whether it's contrived or not, you know, maybe we can debate that, but i I do appreciate that a lot of the second act is is building up character. There's lots of conversations between characters. That's where we're introduced to the maximals, so it's not like this Dinobots thing where they just show up in the last five minutes of the movie, and there's an interesting Uh, a couple of scenes with the Maximals. I mean, we see uh, Optimus Primal talk about what his experience is with the humans and why they've stayed there. And to speak to something Colby was saying, like, you know, again, the logic of the film might be a little derivative, but I don't think it doesn't make sense because there are characters that speak to these things. Like, you know, they didn't find... The the key in Peru or at that temple, but Primal explains why. So like it's not as if the information isn't there. Could it have been executed better? Maybe, but the information is there and it's vivid and it's simple and there's nothing complicated about it. And and I like that the film at least gives us that because Michael Bay wouldn't have given us that information. He wouldn't have cared to. And this and it's little things like that that add to the proficiency. Then there's everything we see with Air Razor and the stakes that come out of that and uh an interesting little moment between primal and air razor with how all of that crystallizes especially if you watch beast wars all the way through and you know the relationship between those two characters there um it, you know and again just adding to the transformers nerdy little things of this film that i love so um i i kind of love the smallness of the second act it's so counterintuitive to what we're used to in this franchise and I think is somewhat necessary because the third act is essentially one giant set piece. That's more or less all that it is. But there's a lot of fun to be had with it. So um, I was OK with the balancing act there and, and why they kind of made it the way they did, I guess.
2: I think my frustration with the second act comes down to they try to give this whole subplot to Michelle Yeoh's character, Arizor, and I just don't really care about it. Was my problem?
3: Yeah, there's not much to Eraser in this film. I, I I do agree. It's pretty thin. You're right. Uh, right. And and maybe maybe my thought. Well, I come at it from two angles. One, again the the callbacks, the way they utilize her in terms of like if you've seen Beast Wars and you know the lore and the legacy of that character, there's some fun little you know nerdy things there. Uh, at, at the same time, <laughs> like I also. Feel like if this was Michael Bay, that, that character would have been handled also very differently. And I, I think even more underutilized. So fairly or unfairly, I also kind of keep wondering what this would be like in Michael Bay's hands. And I always go back to, I think what they do here is, is certainly more proficient, even if underutilized and thin as it is. And I don't disagree with that, but I don't, completely dislike it either i guess that's fair
2: let's get over to the final thoughts things that we haven't mentioned or something you want to reiterate kobe we could start off with you
0: Yeah, yo, shout out to Coleman Domingo's voice as Unicron. I think we pointed
2: out that. Another actor who's just getting paid. (laughs) Yes, yes. You know what? It's like,
0: I'm glad that this film, the voice performances were a bit more distinctive than what I feel like I've received in the past. Um, I like the voice actor, um, you know, that did did Scourge. I did not like Liza Koshy as, uh, I don't even know. They don't even, I don't even know if they really mentioned her Autobot name. Um, yeah, her, the Yeah, she says that at RC, one point. Yeah, there so. we go. yeah, I was like, ah, yeah. ah, that didn't really work for me. I wish that there was a lot more that we got of the Maximals. I feel like Cheetar and Reinach barely had any lines. Um, they were only transformed for like a few seconds on screen. I'm just like, oh yeah. wait this whole movie for this. And then like, and I know i will never forget like growing up as a kid, like my mom like mimicking the way that Optimus Primal would transform in Beast Wars because he looked like he was breakdancing when he transformed. And I was hoping that they <laughs> kind of do that. <laughs> it, it was always so interesting, and it doesn't yeah. happen here, but his 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 transformed form is pretty cool looking here. So I did like that uh like that uh-huh. character design. And um, yeah, I'll say this a transformation. That Anthony Ramos um, uh, has looks way better than Ironheart in Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever.
3: Mm, okay. Okay. All
2: right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Well, let's see if you're wrong about anything, Isaiah. Final thoughts to you. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Um, I got a lot, so I'm just going to try to get this out as much as, as fast as I can. Chris Diaz, the younger brother, probably one of the better child acting performances I've seen this year. I loved him. Dean Scott backwards, I think, was amazing. And I'm only saying this because we didn't really need a lot of her character, but I kind of wanted a little bit more of the mom, Lauren Lauren, uh, Bellas. Um, Now, I get that, of course, this ain't Spider-Verse, and I get that the mom character isn't as big of a narrative within this film, but that's just like an actress that I've really grown to appreciate over the years, kind of which we got a little bit more... I, I agree with Kobe. With like, I think what, the brother had sickle cells or something.
2: Sickle cell anemia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. I wish we got a little bit more of the family aspect. Just like five more minutes again. I guess, but it's okay.
2: I did like that the brother was utilized as a motivating factor for Noah yes. to make money and to try and find a job, and mm-hmm. you know that like mm-hmm. that that really made his character likable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: definitely agree. I do think that the film's action set pieces are good and competent enough. At the end of the day, Michael Bay, what he did in those earlier films, especially with Dark of the Moon, say what you want about those films narrative-wise, but those action set pieces, in my opinion, go back to 2011. There were aspects of those set pieces that, for me, were really pushing the boundaries of... How far we can go in terms of action blockbuster stunt work and like Mm. the top of blocking. Again, not talking about the film, talk about specifically the action set pieces. And that was a very high bar for this film to make. And I think that Stephen Capel Jr. did a good job. Like they were well blocked sequences to where I can remember them. Mm -hmm. I think that this film is, somebody said it earlier, competent. That's all I needed. I felt like I was a kid. Saturday morning cartoons watching this film. I had a good time. It was entertaining. And the third act really did lift me wanting more. I wanted more after the last like 25 minutes of this film.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. JD, what about you? Final thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, uh, I do want to speak a little bit more to, uh, the, the Transformers characters because Colby was talking about RC and, how she's underutilized here and I don't I don't necessarily disagree with that I think what's you know maybe a little bit disappointing or maybe this is just a little bit of the give and take when we compare this to to bay farmers and I feel like we keep going back to that but it's also kind of hard not to and we, you know earlier I was talking about the proficiency of the storytelling here, there's more of a seamlessness overall. This is way less disjointed than a Michael Bay Transformers film. And and I will take that on the whole. However, I I do think in addition to the practicality of Bay's filmmaking, which we've talked about as well as they was just talking about, the other thing I think Bay gets right, or that, that I found compelling compared to what we see here with characters such as Or as you were talking about, Matt, with Air Razor, I think Michael Bay did a good job of injecting some personality into the Transformers characters, even though Bumblebee was primarily the one that interacted with the human characters, aside from Prime from time to time as well. Um, I do think the supporting characters, the the Autobots that are just lingering there that don't interact with human characters, at times they are much more compelling than what we see here when I think of Ironhide in the first three or John Goodman as Hound. Say what you will about Age of Extinction and I probably like it a little bit more than you guys do, but John Goodman as Hound is hysterical. like He's going French. for it. Like he he he's not there just to have a bag like and maybe part of it is he's like, I want to be guaranteed so many lines of dialogue because he's featured heavily in that movie, especially once that film gets to China. He's the only thing compelling about that film in the third act. And he's really funny. Uh, I love him. I I think crosshairs in that film has a lot of personality as well. Ah, uh, Mirage and Dark of the Moon has a lot of personality, very different than what we get here. So, you know, Ratchet at times I think is is compelling. You know, and so Michael Bay emphasizes that in his films. He lets those characters speak. He lets he lets them have, uh, you know, these these moments of levity that are mostly missing here. You know, this is this is a Mirage movie and a little bit of a, a Prime movie for for sure. Uh, And that's pretty much it. You know, we get a little bit with Optimus Primal. And as I noted earlier, I do like that. I like the Air Razor stuff, but it is on the whole, comparatively to those other characters in the Bay films, it is much smaller and, um, you know, a a little bit more middling. Um, So I I have to give Bay credit there. I, I do wish that this film utilized its supporting characters a little bit more, but on the same token, does that mean if if this film does that, does it take away from the Noah character and his arc here, or anything that we get with Elena? I I don't really know. But ultimately, this is a screenplay, as we've also noted, isn't trying to win Oscars. Uh, it's Transformers, so you know it it's oh it's going to be what it's going to be, and and on the whole, you know maybe maybe what I'm saying here is that it goes back to what I said at the beginning of this. There's Things about it that I like, I do like the nerdyisms and the reverence this film shows. But you know, if I'm putting on my critical lens, it's also going, it's it's uneven, and I, I don't think there's any denying that for sure. Uh, but you know, I, I did have a lot of fun with this movie. I did have a lot of fun with it. I I, I like what they do with Prime. I like what they do with Noah, and the way they the, inject these little subtle Transformersy things. I loved. For example, and I won't I won't give the details away, but there's a line from Primal in that third act that when he said it, I I I looked over at like Sam almost clutched me because he could feel me like having this out of body <laughs> experience. <laughs> like, he, could, he could feel me just geeking out on such a hard level. He's like, "Oh my god, what is happening here?" Nerd gasm activated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what it was, and and like I, that was my visceral, guttural reaction to the moment, and that happened a couple of times in that third act. So to your point earlier, Matt, like. You know, we can sit here and talk about all the uneven things of this film, but it got people reacting, and and including me. So, you know, it it is effective, despite how we get from A to Z. There it, there is an effectiveness to it that I, I I appreciate. So, I liked it. I'm I'm looking forward to the next, despite that last scene, which is bad. But maybe we can talk about that too. Okay,
2: so for my final thoughts here, I I just want to say, J.D., you saying it's a Transformers movie is like the equivalent of Larry. I'm on (laughs) DuckTales. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, a couple of a couple of notes here I wrote down during my screening. Uh, Twizzlers. Uh, Yeah. A lot of Twizzler representation in this film. Got to get that.
3: That's sponsoring.
2: Yep. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> as bad as the Bud Light commercial in Age of Extinction.
3: Oh. So brazen. <laughs> yeah. There's one point
2: where Optimus says the line during a dramatic Bumblebee moment where he says, This cannot be. And I was like, oh man. Be Bumblebee? Come on. Really? I just like it took me out of the movie so I so didn't much.
3: Even think about that. That's I will funny, agree though.
2: with that. I do agree with
3: that. <laughs> Yeah, that's-
2: oh, the visualizer that they – like the hologram that they bring up in the third act to show oh. – uh, <laughs> <laughs> noah and elena what's gonna happen in the final battle yeah was so hilarious to me <laughs> but that's just like you know that that's where you got to just suspend logic and y- y- yeah. you really have to just understand the type of movie that you're watching yeah but still i was like how do you have the the map of this all laid out and like it was like this is so yeah. so stupid
3: that's where it's <laughs> the most of They <coughs> there's yeah. no doubt
2: about it no totally totally JD, I know we could probably get into this a little bit more, but I'm going to just say something very, very simple, and we'll just leave it at that. I miss Steve Jablonski.
3: Oh, yeah. You know what? It's it's funny that you say that yeah. because we didn't even mention the score once here. That's because there's nothing worth mentioning. There there really isn't. And honestly, the most enthralling the score is, and again, I won't give details, is when it invokes Jablonski. Yes, that's when this film is at its best. in that regard, and and it's it is uh, yeah. I mean, I love Jablonski. Obviously, I wrote a lot about him at Inceptionfilm.com this week. And yeah, I mean, I, as much as I liked Bumblebee, Bumblebee was great. But you know, I, I do miss the the urgency and just the dramatic tension, the poignancy at times that he brings to those movies. I mean, he's by far the best thing of the Bay and I miss it. I miss it a lot. So
2: overall for me, um, I guess I would rank it personally. My third favorite, give or take, maybe I should rewatch the first film again. Bumblebee is still the best in my opinion, but it's hard to compare that. Like I said, to all these other ones. I, I, yeah, I would say it's like fighting with the first film and you know, the bar is so incredibly low (laughs) that it's not really saying much. Mm -hmm. Um, But Maybe before I get into a final... No, let's do final grade, and then we can just give final comments on the ending. Uh, my, my my final grade for this out of 10, uh, comparatively speaking, based on the other films of the franchise, it's a 6 out of 10 for me, but it's like such a weak, weak 6. I, I was really, really teetering between a 5 and a 6 here, uh, but I ultimately landed on the 6 mostly because the film did... Um, and Bumblebee 2 to a certain extent. Like, I like I do have a, a bit of promise and goodwill that I'm carrying with me into the future. I might retcon this uh, <laughs> later on, depending on yeah. where they go with these uh, sequels. Sure. But for now, yeah. uh, like I said earlier, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, J.D., what about you? What's your grade out of 10?
3: Uh, I'd probably, I'm in that sixth range too, especially if I'm just looking at it critically. But I, I th- this film shows reverence to the legacy of Franchise of transformers in ways that we haven't seen yet to date. So if you have a rich history with it, as I do, I think this border, this is more like a seven uh, out of 10 is kind of where, where I am. But yeah, if you remove that, if you don't have those same feelings that I do, then yeah, I, I would definitely put this in that five, six range.
2: Okay. Kobe, what about you? Five, uh, what's your score out of 10? Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. Like Literally, I came in saying like, I feel
0: like this is a very, very mild six, and I'm being generous because of that struggle between my critic brain that says that this is a five or lower um, or just the general moviegoer that says this is a seven. So I think a six is right in the middle and meets the mark.
2: Yeah, fair. Isaiah?
1: I'm going with a very light seven out of ten. For me, characters – that I'm serious. I was very, very connected to Noah Diaz character. And for me personally, Mm -hmm. when it comes to characters and motivations and payoff, if that works, I can forgive a lot. And it's, it's not of course a great movie, but for me, it might be the best one in the franchise, which again, it's insane Mm. much.
2: Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, Spoilers here, everybody. Uh, What did you think of that? uh, That ending?
0: You guys were aware about, like, the announcement made about this before, though,
3: Yeah, right? I, okay, it I have not followed. Actually, I did not remember oh, that at all. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, you know what it is? I just don't care enough about this franchise anymore, so I definitely missed it. Um, even when it was announced, I was like, oh, that's surprising. But still, I was like, I don't care. People in my audience went insane now. They were reacting like it was the second coming it was insane like (laughs) i looked around me people had their
3: hands in the air people
2: jumped out of their seats
3: yeah you would have thought they said it's the avengers initiative right
2: i mean in a way
3: i mean that's what it's essentially functioning as yeah so for
2: people that don't know and i guess want to be spoiled uh basically they've announced that gi joe is going to cross over with the transformers uh, universe, And that's what Noah now has a job at. At the end of this movie, he gets health care for his uh, little brother. Michael Kelly's there just doing Michael Kelly things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the only thing I could think of walking away out of the theater after that announcement was, okay, that's kind of cool. But, you know, it would be even cooler if we can get Dominic yeah. Torero and, and, the, and the gang I mean, together yeah. to uh, – <laughs> drive the Transformers like
0: cars. I remember right, I, I wrote up a treatment for um, a crossover film called uh, Furiously Transformed where essentially they were up in San Francisco. <laughs> and like, and it works out yeah. so well because like that's ultimately what you know, they what should do that. wants. He yes. wants to turn, like essentially I needed Dom to die and have <laughs> his spirit infused with the all spark. No, no, no. And then he becomes an Autobot, you know, like that's perfect. Like I'm down
3: for it. Yeah, at this point,
2: I I would just need a. I would just need a shout off between Tom and Optimus. (laughs) I just need to (laughs) have that happen. Everybody's just shouting. (laughs) But but to be clear though, the fact that there are two different studios, I don't ever see that happening. And what we are going to get instead here with GI Joe being integrated into the Transformers films, like like I don't care. I really don't. But I'm glad that people do care, and I'm glad that it's given them. Uh, Some excitement now heading into the future to see where this uh, new direction for the franchise goes. My worry is that it's going to become too overstuffed and excessive and crumble underneath its own weight. Uh, But if they can find another director who can competently deliver a summer blockbuster in 127 minutes, as this film is, compared to the Bay films, which were pushing the three-hour mark, then maybe I won't feel that way. Two and way. a half
1: hours, three hours, <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, this movie being less yeah. than two and a half hours long was a godsend. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, mean,
1: I completely loved that ending. In the words okay. of Calvin Candy Jr., you have my curiosity, but now you have my attention. I, and the reason why I was excited, because, of course... G.I. Joe, another franchise in which, when I was younger, I loved it, got older, it's not good. But if you can get a competent director like Stephen Caple Jr. to direct this, someone who, of course, he has experience with the Creed franchise, he has experience with, of course, this franchise, and he's really good when it comes to character work, or if you want to find another director, I think this could work. Because I want a good G.I. Joe movie, like an actual good G.I. Joe movie. There's something that I personally want. But if you don't care about it, I understand. Me personally, I was geeking
2: out. Is Channing Tatum coming back? I mean, that's what would get me invested. Is that what expecting here?
1: I don't even think he wants to come back. <laughs> no, he, he hated did not. He hated that doing film. that one.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. this seemed inevitable given the rich history between the two IPs. It, it felt like we've been trending toward this way for some time. And my, I think my biggest thing is, well, it's a couple things. I, I don't know if the interest on the whole is there. Like, let's say when you announce the Avengers initiative, obviously that's going to get a lot more people riled up at the same time. I, I just, to me, I think it's more so the placement of it and the execution of it, because this was, you know, for all the reasons we talked about a Transformers movie, it was self-contained as a Transformers movie. It wasn't trying to do the MCU thing where it's it's Guardians, but also part of it's Avengers and other things. You know, like this was just its own story. And then the last scene comes, and then all of a sudden it's not anymore. And and so I don't. If this was in the end credits, a la Avengers Initiative, maybe I'd be less uh, like eye rolly about it. I just don't love the placement of it. And I'm also just dubious going forward, like if this is the right time, you know, this franchise, like the last night did not do that well at the box office. I loved Bumblebee, but that film wasn't breaking records either. And this seems to be trending to do well at the box office, but I I don't know what the longevity of this franchise could be. Like, is this going to end up being what we saw with The Amazing Spider-Man 2? when they're teasing the Sinister Six. Like, is it going to end up being that? And if so, and I don't think that's out of the realms of impossibility, then retrospectively, that scene will always be there in, as part of the entire package of the movie instead of just being an end credits thing. And, and then it'll always linger there in some sort of awkward what if. And, and so I, d- I just don't know if that was the right move right now, anyway.
2: I completely agree with you, JD. Uh, For the sake of time here, because I know you have to run, Mm -hmm. um, I'll just uh, make one last note here before we do outros, and that is, in terms of the film's Oscar potential, you know, the Transformers films have been nominated for Sound and Visual Effects Oscars in the past, but given, as we've been saying now for a little bit here, the interest in the franchise, its place within pop culture, the critical reception to it, it's no longer a flashy new visual effects, like revolutionized, uh, you know, type of property anymore. Like the first film was when it first came out. So um, I see zero Oscar potential for this film overall. I agree, which is sad. Like the sound work. And with that said, Kobe, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, Where can they find you on the internet?
0: Yeah, you can follow your boy. I'm on all the socials at Kobe told me that's K O L B Y T O L D me on Twitter and IG. And when they ask you where you heard it from, you can tell them Colby told me.
2: Awesome, JD, Duran, where can they find you on the internet?
3: Uh, InSessionFilm.com. You can find us on all the social media platforms, including YouTube now. We're doing video if you haven't listened to us in a while. And I want to be a little selfish here. We mentioned Steve Jablonski earlier. I wrote 2,000 words on Steve Jablonski's scores the transformers films this last week so if you want to hear me geek out or read me geeking out about Jablonski's score i would appreciate you checking it out i put a lot of time and effort into it so again you can find that in sessionfilm.com. and thanks matt for having me i love being here and talking transformers with you guys
2: we appreciate having you, too. And I uh, co-sign what you said about that piece. I really, really enjoyed your thoughts on Jablonski's work. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was solely missed here. And those scores mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. much, much better than I think people remember. And yes, uh, maybe in some cases, the only redeemable aspects of some of those <laughs> uh, big <Bay> films. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. Yeah.
2: All right. And uh, Isaiah Washington, where can I find you on the Internet? You can find me at Izabod13, capital I on Twitter. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Transformers Rise of the Beasts here on the Next Best Picture podcast.